0: You're listening to the Move to Value podcast, powered by Chess Health Solutions. The Move to Value podcast is dedicated to helping healthcare providers understand and make the transition into value based care. We do this through conversations and the sharing of innovative ideas with practitioners, experts, and leaders throughout the healthcare industry. Our mission is to sustainably transform the healthcare experience for the patient, provider, and care team by cultivating a value-oriented, compassionate, and health-aligned community. In this episode of the Move to Value podcast, we revisit the Move to Value Summit Nursing Edition that took place on December 6th, 2023. This was an event where our team of subject matter experts presented best practices in value-based care to an audience of nurses. This year, we had well over 100 attendees. Today, we'll hear from CHESS Director of Care Coordination, Shannon Parrish, who shares the importance of patient education and how to equip patients with the skills to advocate for themselves.
1: Good afternoon. Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. It is my absolute pleasure to speak to you today around patient education strategies. I am a huge believer in the power of a nurse and the difference we make in patient lives. and so I am excited to celebrate you today and the opportunity you have to change the lives of your patients and to make a difference. And I think foundational to that is patient education. I had the privilege of speaking on patient education a few years ago. And as I revisited the current literature and what to speak on, um, there have been so many advances in in the healthcare field and technology. Um, but in patient education, the principles are foundational. Um, what used to work still works. Some of our modalities are different. in, in fact, that you have now texting and video and um, and FaceTime chat with patients, et cetera, um, which make the virtual education space a little bit different, but still foundational to changing patient behavior and impacting patient lives is the basic concepts of patient education. So it's my privilege. In today's agenda, we're gonna talk about the power of education, the impact of health literacy, the learning needs of the older adult,
2: and then utilizing teaching strategies. So, as we talk about the power of
1: education, let's first start with the next slide here, defining patient education. So, patient education can be defined as the process of influencing or shaping patient behavior and producing the changes in knowledge, the changes in attitude, and the changes in the skills necessary to maintain or improve health. So nurses wear many, many hats, and whether you're in the inpatient world or the outpatient world, some of those hats look a little bit different. But one of my favorite and universal to nursing is the opportunity to be a teacher, and it is to educate. I know that my team really likes to see that we make a difference. We wanna know that the work we do has meaning, has impact. And I think knowledge is power. It equips patients for success. And it's like tossing them the keys so that they set their own course for their health journey. It's empowering that patient to be in the driver's seat, to be in control, to know that their actions have a direct impact on their own personal health trajectory. So patient education encourages several different things patient compliance, patient satisfaction, healthy lifestyles, and self-care capability. So let's first start with patient compliance. Some of you don't have your video on, so I can't see your faces here. Can we move back a slide, please? We're going to camp out here for a minute. So with patient compliance, I can't see all your faces, but if you want to show of hands or in the chat, um, how many of you need to know the why behind the what? I will raise my hand. I am a big have to know why I'm doing what I'm doing. I am a rule follower, but I need to know why it's a rule. And so I think a lot of times when we think about patient compliance, we really need to make sure that they know what they need to do, and why they need to do it. And patient education is a vehicle that secures that. A lot of times when patients don't do the right thing and they're quickly labeled as non-compliant, if you trace it back, there are barriers, which we're gonna speak to later, or there's a fundamental disconnect in their understanding of what they needed to do. So patient education empowers that patient to be compliant and to do their part in their patient health care. So patient satisfaction. I know in the value-based space, patient satisfaction is playing a much larger role in our quality performance than ever before. It has really become to the forefront of uh, what we're measured against um, from a quality perspective. And this goes beyond good customer service. Did you have a good experience? Were you pleased with the outcomes? Patient satisfaction as it relates to quality is really involving the patients in decisions and empowering the patient as the decision maker. Again, it's giving them the keys to set the course for their healthcare journey. And equipping and empowering patients is a patient satisfier and will go a long way in securing their compliance and their success. Healthy lifestyles. So the old saying that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And so often in the healthcare space, we are trying to cure everything. When if we could get ahead of the issue and prevent it, we'd be in a lot um better place. And so I really believe that an ounce of prevention is a pound of cure. And as medical technologies have come so far, you will never escape that there is a tie to patient behavior, that there is a tie to diet, to exercise, um, that directly impacts your overall health. So making sure that we educate and equip patients on how to follow healthy behaviors and we cheerlead them in those healthy behaviors will go a long way and then self-care capability so i'm going to say a lot of old sayings i must be an old soul because i tend to defer to these things that you've heard your whole life but you give a man a fish and he eats for a day and you teach a man to fish and he eats for a lifetime The other thing that I think is really critical here is all of these things involve the patient. It's the patient's compliance, the patient's satisfaction, the patient's participation participation in a healthy lifestyle, and the patient's self-care capability. And so really what I want to highlight here is, uh, and it's a big part of value-based care, is patient-centered care. The patient is the MVP of the team. They can have access to the best doctors. You can create access where they can be seen within an hour of their concern. They can have the newest medicines on the market But really, if you want to impact a patient's health outcomes, you have to impact the patient's behavior. If they have access to the doctor, but they never go, if they have the right medicines, but they don't take it consistently, you're not going to have the same impact. And so I want to make sure that patient education is patient-centered and that we are um, taking into account the profound impact that taking that extra time to explain, to teach, um, to engage the patient in their own
2: health journey will have on their overall health trajectory. Next slide, please. So let's think about what patients need to know. And there are so many things that a patient
1: needs to know. So how do we prioritize the need to know over the nice to know? And the the great opportunity that we have in value-based care is if you chronically follow and support these patients, once you get beyond the need to know, you can get to the nice to know. We have the time to pour into these patients and invest into their lives and their patient behaviors. But just foundational to take care of yourself, to stay alive, to stay out of the hospital. Patients need to know the basics of their disease state. They need to know how to perform self-care, and that is diet, exercise,
2: lifestyle, symptom monitoring. They have to know the importance of preventative care.
1: They have to know the impact of their actions on how they feel. So sometimes we have to help draw that connection to patient behavior and the way they feel and the impact on their health. When I eat this way, I feel this way. When I don't take my medicines, this happens to me. They have to understand the direct correlation of their behavior on their health. But then they also need to know when to anticipate results. So you engage the patient. They're all willing to jump on this diet that you're having them follow or to take these medicines, but they don't feel any different in the first week. They quit. So you have to set realistic expectations of we need to do these things for this amount of time. This is when you're going to see the impact of these choices that you're making so that they stick it out for the long haul. Patients need to know the warning signs of what to do um, when there are problems and who you call. So one of the most important things you can do in every phone call is if you have questions, you call me. Or direct patients back to the office so that they know that, that we really want to direct the PCP as the as, um the main source of support for that patient. So us and the PCP working together are that support system for that patient. So when in doubt, call the doctor's office um, and ask questions and tell them how you feel and seek advice on what to do next. But when you're thinking about a plan for patients, these are the things that patients need to know. So I'm gonna veer off the slide just for a little bit here. So I think one of the universal things that everybody likes, right kids, adults there are a few a few major things chicken nuggets, mac and cheese, cheeseburgers, right? They are foundational foods that just about anybody likes, and most people don't complain about but um while everybody likes a cheeseburger, everybody defines a good cheeseburger different. Uh, Differently. So some people say, oh, it's all the way. Some people say absolutely full of onions. No onions or I won't touch it. My daughter likes peanut butter on her cheeseburger. And so there are so many different ways. You wouldn't ever want to serve somebody a cheeseburger without knowing how they like their cheeseburger. Because you give them one full of onions and they hate onions, they're not going to eat it. So they still have an unmet need. They are still hungry. And even though you provided them something to eat, it did not meet the need and you still have the same outcomes. Education is not one size fits all. So if you start educating based off of Um, everybody has to get this, this, and this, and you don't understand what the patient already knows, what their barriers are, what they prioritize are. If you don't have the context for their life to shape what they like, you're going to serve them something that's not going to meet their needs. They're still going to be hungry. So I want to make sure that We are asking these questions before we give answers, and we are truly trying to understand what a patient knows and what they need, and we're going to talk about that in the next few slides. So how many of you, this takes me back to my elementary school days, had field day, and you had foot races, right? So you all line up on the race line, ready, on your mark, get set, go. Right. And that's kind of the way they did it. So when we think about the nursing process, we are assessing, we're planning, we're implementing and we're evaluating. So assessing is you're getting ready. Right. I'm assessing everything I know to get ready. When I am set, I have my plan. And then when I go, I'm implementing. Okay, And so that's really kind of even just fundamental to the nursing process, but it applies directly to patient education. We need to assess the need and the opportunity, plan for it, implement it, and then we need to evaluate, was it effective? Did they like their cheeseburger? Did it meet their needs? Okay,
2: that's what we want to come back to. So let's look at the next slide. So other parts of the learning assessment then would be to look at context to really understand what's an
1: ordinary day like for this patient. So how traumatic is this new diagnosis to this patient? Were they extremely active and now their independence is taken from them or were they pretty sedentary and this is not a big you know a, a big change on their daily life? What activities do they enjoy in their free time? Were they out hiking at the park? Um, If so, then a, a hip surgery is going to have a tremendous impact on their mobility and their activity and their pleasure and their socialization. Think about how many times we ask patients to make diet changes well, if their activity, and, and mine, I'm a foodie, is going out to eat, how hard is it to follow a specific diet when you're out in a restaurant? So we need to think of the context of the life of this patient, um, because not every disease impacts the patient the same way. So we really need to understand what's an ordinary day like to you, what activities bring you pleasure, what is your family support like, you have really involved family, you're socially isolated, all those things impact what you need to know, the impact of your disease, and how you're ready to tackle that and what education you need. From a needs perspective, Tell me what you understand about your illness. So don't start at A with everybody. If they've got A down, let's move on to B, C, and D. Let's understand what they know, what they need to know, and we're gonna get to readiness, what they want to know, okay? So what do you hope to learn about and what problems are you having? So let's let the patient set what they need out of that education opportunity. Then think about style. Do you learn best at a certain time of day? Are you fading fast in this after-lunch spot? I think I got the, the post-lunch coma before you get your chocolate chip cookies for snack. Um, when you're learning something new, do you prefer to read it or hear it? And do you like to have someone with you when you're learning something new? And then from a readiness perspective, are you interested in learning what are you interested in learning more about? And then All education, because it's shaping patient behaviors, needs to lead to action. We're not just teaching them so they know it. We're teaching them so they can act upon what they know so that it impacts their behaviors. So based off what we've learned today, what are you willing to work on?
2: How do you feel about making the changes we learned about today? Okay, next slide. So once you've done that assessment and you have a foundational
1: um Understanding of what the patient needs and where they're at and how to plan and make a plan to meet them, it needs to be meaningful. Can you relate it to familiar things or past experiences for patients? So if they have family members that had the same disease and how did they watch them manage it? And what did they like about how they managed it or not like about how they managed it? What do they understand from what they've seen within their own family or their own health journey? Have they ever had to follow a strict diet? have they ever had a major lifestyle change how did they adjust to those things historically let's pull from what they were successful with in the past and bring that into future but also from a meaningful perspective it's speaking the language of that patient so if you're speaking to a mechanic or an engineer the body is a machine and the way one part Helps another part function the way it needs to and the way they all work together to get to an optimal outcome. If I'm speaking to someone who loved to cook or a baker, then they understand following the recipe is critical. And I can't just pick the chocolate chips and the sugar. I have to have the eggs and the flour in my recipe. So I can't just pick my diet or I can't just pick my exercise or my medicine. It's all those pieces of the recipe that come together to impact my overall success. So make it meaningful to the patient. Understand what their daily life's like, what language they speak. What, what is meaningful to them and make your education meaningful to them, meet them where they are. The next thing then is make it actionable. So what are the next steps? We will come back every time to prioritizing patient behavior and not just knowledge. It's what do they need to know and then what do they need to do? If we go back to that original definition of patient education, it's shaping patient behavior. So we always need to make sure that our education is actionable. And then from relevant, what are they interested in learning? It's going back to that previous assessment and saying, what are your needs? What do you know? What do you not know? What do you want to know more about? What are you ready for? If I am not ready to make diet changes, talking to me for an hour about my diet is a waste of your time, my time, and your breath. Um, We really have to make sure that, but if they are willing to exercise or they are willing to start checking their blood sugar, that's where you start. You have to know what they're interested in and you meet the patient where they are. And again, this triangle then, we should have put a picture of the patient in the middle of it because this is patient-centered education. It's taking that patient and making that education experience meaningful, actionable, and relevant to the patient and then that garners patient engagement. So let's look at some of the barriers to learning. I think we've we've seen over the past couple of years as we've started to look at barriers to health, like social determinants or barriers to health. We've learned quickly not to label patients as compliant or not compliant because so many times patients want to do the right thing And when they don't, it's not because they didn't want to, it's because they didn't understand, they didn't have the ability, they didn't have the resources, there's a reason behind it. So as we're making a plan and as we're assessing for how we're going to uh, educate a patient, we need to understand what their barriers are. So from a health status perspective, if they're in the hospital feeling rotten, you got to seize the right moment Um, to really make sure that that information is meaningful and useful to that patient and that they hear you. You need to consider financial factors. If you're trying to talk to a patient about a new medication and the importance of taking it, and all they're worried about is can they afford it, we have to address that first before we can then educate on the medicine. Think about then all the cultural and ethnic background and language barriers that can impact a patient. We're going to talk to it a little bit more in the presentation, but literacy, health literacy, comprehension, um, and the, the ability to understand kind of draw inference and what to do next can be a barrier to learning. Poor support systems. So what if they are all alone? Or what if they are the caregiver for someone else in their family? And this is the first time that they've been the patient and had to be taken care of themselves. So we
2: need to understand all these barriers as we make a plan for how to educate and equip the patient.
1: So one of the barriers I want to spend some time on then is the impact of health literacy. So personal health literacy is the degree to which individuals have the ability to find, understand, and use information and services to inform their health-related decisions and actions. It's not one of those things. It's not, can they find it? It's not, do they understand it? It's, can they find it, understand what they found, and use what they have found? And all those things make up health literacy for a patient. 9 of 10 adults lack health literacy to manage chronic health care issues. And when you think of the older adult population, which so many of us support from a Medicare standpoint, in adults greater than or equal to 65, it can be as low as 3% of the population population. And I think so often we have to check our own personal bias. So we already from nursing school, from personal practice, have all this education, and then we're running all that through that filter, right? But we have to understand um, if they've never been exposed to it, it's the first time they're hearing it, and they're hearing it when they're scared because it's a new diagnosis, Um, then Are they able to unpack that and do something with it? We have to remove our personal bias and make sure we meet the patient where they are. We assume everybody understands what we understand. They know what we know. They're starting from where we're starting from. And just because of the barriers we've just discussed, we don't all start from the same point. So we really have to check that when we're making sure that we provide information to patients in a way that they can find, understand, and use it. And not just in your personal practice, but at an organizational level. Okay, so I can be accountable for what information I share with patients, how I share it with patients. But maybe this is an opportunity for you to advocate within your health system. What is our process for patient education? How do we equip patients? Do we have group classes? Do we have standardized education? educational material available, is that educational material meet health literacy standards and expectations. Um, So we have to think of our own personal um, accountability for making sure our education is health literate, but we also need to advocate for that on a larger system level for our patients. Next slide, please. And health literacy is fundamental to quality care. So in the literature, it is clearly evidenced that poor health literacy leads to poor outcomes. So increased utilization, decreased participation in preventative care, reduced medication and care plan adherence, increased health care costs, and death. And these are all the things that we're fighting against every day, right? We want you to have appropriate utilization. We want you to get all the preventative care that you need. I want to make sure you're adherent to your medicines. This is like the bread and butter of, of what so many of us on this call do. Um, but poor health literacy just already, it, it tilts the scales in, in the wrong direction for a patient um, when they present with that and leads to poor outcomes. So, I like the the Kiss methodology of keep it simple stupid. Right, watch your watch your language. Make sure that you are speaking in plain language. So when we think of um, literacy and health literacy, are not identical in their definition. Um, But the average American reads at an eighth grade level. The average Medicare patient reads at a fifth grade level. And so you really universally need to make sure all your educational material is at a fifth grade level so that it is accessible to all and that it is plain language. So let's look at the next slide at some examples of what plain language are. So things like changing monitor your blood sugar to check your blood sugar, modify your diet to change what you eat, manage your weight to watch your weight. And some of those words might seem insignificant, but we really have to be mindful. I know that as a company, when we have new hires, we have so many different um abbreviations for everything and you can sit in a meeting and just be lost as to what's being talked about because did you get the mcv to the awv to the mcp and people are like what are you what are you talking about i recently sat in a financial planning meeting and it was fascinating but that's not my language and all the abbreviations and the plans they spoke of um were stretch for me to wrap my brain around. And so I just really want to make sure that we, we pause and we're very thoughtful and mindful about the words we choose. So even the CDC gave an example of... Teach your child to manage diabetes at school by encouraging physical activity and healthy eating as well as medication and testing routines. Sounds very professional, but you want that mama to know what to do to help their baby. So you want to encourage your child to be active, to eat foods that keep their diabetes under control when they're at school. You want to teach your child about the right way to check their blood sugar and take their medicines. And so it's just a simple evaluation of the words you use to make it, to make it understandable
2: and relatable to patients. So we've already talked about, um,
1: the barriers of more older patients are more likely to have health literacy issues. But in addition to health literacy issues, there are other barriers specific to the older adult population. Some of them are cognitive changes then that influence their learning needs. So I wanna spend some time talking about the impact of aging on learning. So we have declining cognitive capacity, Oftentimes, short-term memory loss. We have slower information processing. Decreased capacity to manage multiple messages.
2: And the decreased ability to inference and draw conclusions. Next slide. Other age-related factors is sometimes within the older adult population, there is social isolation and
1: depression, a low motivation to learn. What's the point now at this age in my life to change anything? It's too late. There are psychosocial issues, high-stress environments. Sometimes your sick, frail patients are the caregivers of other members within their family or they have very low support, functional decline in their hearing and their eyesight, and then a propensity to be fatigued, more likely to be fatigued, they tire easily. So these are all things that we need to consider when educating our older adult population. So specifically, uh, when I went looking, I found these strategies for the elderly. I actually think these are foundational strategies for any patient in any population. So we recently had a friend who owns a business, and she did a radio announcement advertising her business. And at the end, we were like, that sounded so professional. And that just was really well done. What a great commercial. You know what the radio people told her? Talk like you're speaking to children. Have the have the the cadence in your voice, slow your pace, make your animated. Um, and it came across so relatable and just so well done and and it was act like you're speaking to a kid. Some of these things are the same types of principles. So let's provide written materials so that if they have short-term memory issues uh, or if you're just inundating them with everything's different, you're telling me I've got a new problem, I've got to do all these things to fix that problem, I don't know where to start, let's give them something as a point of reference to look back on. Um, And because of that changing eyesight, it needs to be 12-point or larger. We need to limit distractions. We need to repeat main points multiple times throughout your time with them. And we need to stick to only three to five main points in one session. You need to speak slowly. You need to be concise. You need to avoid vague words, as specific as you can be. So, if you say, make sure you have adequate intake, well, what is adequate? How do we define that? You need to make sure you use the bathroom frequently, well, what is frequently? That needs to be defined. Follow this until it's better. Or several times a day. You've all had the poor patient who several times a day meant every hour versus three times a day. So we really got to make sure that we're avoiding vague words and we're being specific. Lowering the pitch of your voice. So I've always thought when I listen back, I sound like a 12-year-old girl that squeaky voice on the phone. Um, And I used to in patient rooms, I'd speak so loud and I'd have patients say, honey, I can hear you. You don't have to speak so loud. Sometimes we think we need to speak louder, but instead of louder, sometimes it is slower and we just change the pitch of our voice um, to be a pitch that patients can hear. And then we need to include the family and the support system. So depending on what you're educating, if the patient's not the grocery shopper, you got to include the grocery shopper in that education, right? If the patient's not the one uh, dispensing the medicines and understanding the medicines, then you've got to meet with that person to to change the patient behaviors and the outcomes. And so um, these are some foundational strategies that we can follow, So let's move next into some of our teaching strategies. So we've talked through some of the foundational elements of patient education. We've talked through um, some of the barriers to learning, specifically health literacy and that of an aging adult. Let's talk now on some of the strategies to make sure that we're meeting patient needs as we educate. So the three A's of health information. Accurate information, actionable information, and accessible information. Accurate, let's start there. How many of your patients know what they know about their diabetes because they talked to their neighbor and their neighbor does X, Y, and Z? Or how many of them Googled something and they don't know where they found it other than they Googled and it said so? Um, so, we really have to make sure we we make sure patients have access to accurate information that their source is not their neighbor who is misinformed but well-intentioned, um, and that it's not just the first thing they found on Google, but it's a well-trusted site which has sound medical advice, right? Again, we're going to always come back to actionable because the point of patient education is to shape patient behaviors. So then the health information needs to be actionable. What do I need to know? And now what do I need to do with it? And then accessible, that goes back to not just do I have handouts for you or can I meet with you to talk through your questions, but it's considering those things like the barriers that are competing for your attention. It's can they, can they hear you when you're talking? Can they read the material you're giving them? Do they have the health literacy to comprehend and understand and act on the information that you're giving? And so um, and so many times, then, that's taking it one bite at a time. How do you eat the elephant? One bite at a time. If you have a patient who's had a major life-altering event, and everything in their life is different now because of that event, you have to make sure that you meet them where they are, and you take it one step at a time. They're not going to change their diet, their medication regimen. So this is really important to me. My husband... Had a heart attack this year, and we all thought he was too young and too healthy to have a heart attack. All of a sudden, overnight, everything changed, right? He went from no medicines to eight new medicines. He went from no restrictions on his diet to... Um, severe restrictions on his diet because he was in heart failure. We went from being active runners every day to we had to get permission to walk to the mailbox um, until he built up his recovery and his tolerance. And so when I think now about All the things that are going through a patient's mind, right? He did not want to have another heart attack. He did not want to go back to the hospital. He was willing to listen to anything you wanted to say that would keep him out of the hospital and keep him from having another heart attack. But he was also drowning in information because everything changed at once. So we had to do bite size, I'm gonna do your medicines, you do your diet. We and we had to take it one step at a time and we had to participate in things like cardiac rehab where he went every week and he learned something new every week so he built upon that we had to do the one bite at a time approach and that's how it was accessible and actionable to him because that's what he could process at the time so i'm really passionate about this because i've seen it firsthand now and it really connected like oh yeah um patients recall 10% of what they see 30 to 40% of what they see and hear And 90% of what they see, hear, and do. So I know personally, if you send me an email with a big attachment to read, it's a stretch for when I'm gonna read it. If you really want me to know something and you want my answer on something, schedule a five-minute meeting and tell me what's in that attachment and ask me the questions you need to ask. And I will pull up that document and I will reference it in the conversation. But And if you're talking to me, I want something to hold on, read, highlight, take notes. So I I personally can see in my own life that it's not, I just don't want to see it. I also don't just want to hear it. I want to be able to see it, hold it, hear it. But then I learn best from doing. And so when you think about where you're meeting these patients for patient education, if you're just mailing them a flyer, not a lot of traction. Not a lot of impact. If you're mailing them a flyer and then you're talking to them about it, you're talking them through it, they're holding it in their hands, you're a whole lot closer to the outcomes you just des- desire. But really, if you want to move the needle, you want to make sure that they have the opportunity to see, hear, and do. Um, and then that's how patients learn best.
2: Next slide, please. So another strategy would be to chunk and check. So
1: it breaks these large amounts of information into smaller sections, like we've done in our PowerPoint today. We first started off on the power of education, then we talked about Health literacy. Then we talked about learning needs of older adults. Now we're talking about patient education strategies. We're chunking it into smaller bits of the overall, all the the entire presentations about education, but it's broken down into discernible parts. And it enables you then to validate the understanding of each item taught. It allows patients to clarify and ask questions in real time rather than waiting and forgetting. And when you chunk and check, you want to prioritize what you want to teach and begin with the most important information first. If they only hear one thing, let's start there and let's repeat it frequently. But um, chunking and checking then allows you to come back. And so if if you don't get the intended results from what you did, you know where the process broke down. Was it in this section Or this section, like where where did the communication break? What do I need to revisit? So then that lends itself nicely into the next slide. And that's called teach back. And teach back is an opportunity to help gauge comprehension. And where you really think that you're evaluating whether the patient understood you or not, but really you're understanding that how effective you were at communicating your points. So how often does this happen in real life? I think I've communicated one thing. The results I get are not at all what I thought I communicated. So there is a disconnect. I think we could all use this in every aspect of our life. So, um, really having the teach back, tell me what you heard, tell me what you understood, really helps make sure that what you intended to communicate was indeed received and understood. And so then utilizing teach back, you chunk and teach the information. Then you ask patients to teach it back in their own words. If they get it right, we move to the next chunk of information in those three to five main points we're trying to communicate to a patient. If they don't have it, we use different words, we have a different approach, and then
2: we come back to tell me in your own words what you understand. Next slide, please. In utilizing
1: TeachBack, there's a couple of things that you don't do, and some of this is uh, foundational communication. I learned very quickly with teenagers that I do not ask yes and no questions because all I will get is yes or no and nothing else. So I have to ask open-ended questions to facilitate dialogue and to really have more context to the conversation. Same with patients. Um, yes, no. The do you do you understand and do you have questions? These are all things that patients can hide behind. Cause yes, I understand. No, I don't have any questions. And you leave not knowing whether they really understand or not. You're looking at their facial clues, their body language. Do you think they understood it? Do you think they're going to do something with it? So we need to change and ask open-ended questions. We need to say, I want to make sure I explain things well. Tell me in your own words. So I make sure I did. Can you tell me in your own words what you're going to do differently from today? Um, And instead of saying, do you have questions? It's what can I explain more clearly? And is there something you want to remove to review more? So, so often with patients, specifically with health literacy issues, literacy or comprehension issues, there's a lot of shame and patients don't want to disclose that they don't understand or they don't follow. So instead of saying They might not want you to know they have questions because that means they didn't understand it and they don't want you to know that. But if you say you want to talk more about one of these particular things, can I explain something more clearly? That's a level playing field for that patient to say, yes, let's talk about this some more. Right. If you say, do you understand? Patients always going to say, yes, I understand. And they might not have a clue. So these open ended questions Tell me in your own words, tell me what you're going to do differently based off what we talked about today, and what can I explain more clearly. Next slide, please.
2: So the benefits of written material as a teaching strategy
1: are a couple of different things. It helps to reinforce learning and prompt recall of the information. So we already talked about in elderly patients where there is uh, poor retention of information, memory issues, having something to go back to can be really, really helpful. Um, in, in the instance where a patient's having to learn lots of new things and everything starts to jumble together, having something to come back to, again, prompts that information recall. I think the one thing, though, that makes it personal to patients is if you are doing handouts, that you highlight The main point of that paper. So they're not just looking at a page full of words, but you're saying this is really important. Read this sentence. Read this two sentence. Make a personal note. Paul, I hope this is helpful to you. Post this on your refrigerator. helps to engage the patient, so it takes it just from being a piece of paper. And then following up on that written content in your phone calls to make sure that they're not just seeing it, but they're seeing and hearing it, and then you give them action items to do following that. The other benefit of written material is it helps to standardize education. So I have a large team of excellent nurses, and I would trust my grandma to any of the nurses on my team. But I also know that if she was to be educated by five of them, they'd take a different approach. Each of them would prioritize something different for that. And so helping to standardize it, one thing we had to do as a department is, okay, for diabetic patients, what are the critical things everybody wants to communicate to a patient? Let's make a packet of information we're all going to teach from because otherwise you might have one nurse who only focuses on your diet and one who only focuses on your medicine and one who only focuses on your exercise Um, so and everybody has a different priority of what they wanna communicate and educate. So it helps to standardize that all patients get the same information. The other thing when education is standardized, then it gets repeated. So if the doctor's office is handing out the same information that you are teaching from, we're all communicating the same message. I'm not looking at four different papers all telling me the same thing. The doctor's office gave me this paper, you the nurse are calling to follow up on that paper. Um, And that really helps to streamline um, the patient and give them something tangible to understand and do. So um, as far as the benefits of written material, um, I think it really goes a long ways. But you also need to do the... um, other modalities of how you're going to get that written material to patients and how you're going to follow up to make sure that they understood it, that you're addressing additional concerns, that you're following up and equipping them and giving them the opportunity to see, hear, and do. So I want to thank you for your time. I want to encourage you that you are difference makers, that you have... Um, a unique opportunity to shape patient behavior, to influence patient outcomes, to equip patients for success. You make all the difference in the world. This is
0: the Move to Value podcast, powered by Chess Health Solutions. We hope you have enjoyed this episode. If you would like more information about this and other episodes, you can head over to movetovaluepodcast.com to check out all of the available resources. If you're interested in continuing to hear about value-based care and how it impacts you, you can sign up for our email notifications or subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. Also, we would love it if you would share the Move to Value podcast across your networks and leave a rating or review. Thanks for listening.